We're in a series of messages called The Jesus Way, and we're examining things that Jesus said which appear upside down in comparison to the way that the world thinks on these things. And this morning's topic is going to seem even more upside down than any of the others, and that is the fact that slavery is freedom. Now, the word slavery, that brings strong emotions from us, and it also is a word that's associated with pain and injustice. But the thing we can't get around is the fact that the call to accept the gospel message is a call to slavery. And maybe you're thinking, well, haven't we just been talking about freedom in Christ, and now you're talking about being slaves? The thing we're going to find is that when we're slaves to Jesus Christ, that's when we really find freedom. But it's not an easy concept to grasp. And from our perspective here on earth, it seems so upside down. It's just almost like there comes a moment when we go, aha, and we understand, and now we can see. I have some gestalts that I'm going to show here. And what do you see in this first image? Two people talking or maybe a husband and wife about to kiss or whatever. And then, do you see anything else? Yeah, there's a chalice or a vase or whatever in the center. And then this second one, what do you see first? Yeah, a little guy playing the saxophone. But then what else do you see? Yeah, that's right. Looks like a beautiful young woman. The next one, oh, here's, this is one of the older ones that's been around for a long time. An older woman and a young woman. Some of you are very good at this. I hear the same voices. And this is the last one I'll punish you with. This one's easy. I had never seen this one before. I found it. But maybe when you looked at one of those, you couldn't quite at first, see that second image. And then all of a sudden, ah, aha, I, I now get that. And there's a sense in which Scripture is that way as well. Because there are some things in there that we look at, and, and we look at, and we just don't see. And maybe you've grown up in a church that didn't study the Bible very much, but, and, and you just don't get those things. Like the idea of being a slave to Jesus is one of the hidden truths of Scripture. And it's hard for us to accept because a slave doesn't have any identity. There's no personal identity. There are no possessions. The slave is a possession. A slave's only real job is to obey the master. So is that really what it means to be a Christian? And the answer is yes. But there's something within us that rebels against that idea, especially when you consider that Scripture teaches that we volunteer to be a slave. Like, who signs up for something like that? Like, nobody says, when I grow up, I want to be a slave. You ask kids what they want to be, and a boy will say, well, I want to be a police officer or a firefighter, or I want to be a professional athlete. And you ask a little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll say things like, oh, a teacher, a nurse, a, a doctor. 
Like my middle daughter, Shan, is on the keyboard here this morning leading in worship. And she said, I just want to work at anything where I'm the boss, where I'm ordering people around. And it has worked out very well for her in the job she has found. She also does a little bit of that in the family, too. It's amazing. But nobody says, I want to be a slave when I grow up. Yet, as we study through Scripture and we look at the Christian experience, we see that this is very much a part of that. So when we study a subject, we generally will take a passage of Scripture and then we'll work down through there and and draw points from it. But this morning, we're actually going to take two words and we're going to use those, two New Testament words, one of them is used commonly to describe Jesus. It's a title for Jesus. And the other word we're going to look at is commonly used to describe the Christians, or it's a title for Christians. And as we get into this, it's going to appear as if the meaning of these words are obvious, that they're simple and straightforward. And you're going to think, well, why are we talking about these in the first place? I know what that word means. But we tend to look at these too quickly. And what we're going to do this morning is just stare at these two words a little bit. And the first word we're going to look at today is the word kurios. That's translated as Lord in the New Testament. And this word is used about 750 times. And we especially want to look at how it's used in relation to Jesus in the Gospels. Because Jesus is often referred to as Lord by his disciples. He's referred to as Lord by a person in the crowd who wants to be healed. And you will also find Jesus commonly referring to himself as Lord. So we hear that and we skip over it pretty quickly because we say, well, I know what that means. That means God. It's a designation of his divinity. But that's not actually what it means in the Gospels. Because when the Greek word kurios is used, it simply means owner of slaves or master of slaves. So Jesus doesn't go around proclaiming himself as Lord in the fact that he's saying, I'm divine or I'm God. And people didn't go around calling him that because that would have been blasphemy. It would have been a crime punishable by death. They use the word kurios, which means owner of slaves. Now, this is just like quarterback belonging to the world of football. Point guard belongs to the world of basketball. Goaltender to the world of hockey. Kurios belongs to the world of slavery. And when Jesus refers to himself that way, then people were thinking, master of slaves. That's what they thought when he said those words. Now you're thinking, okay, so it doesn't mean God is in the divine. Instead, it means master of slaves or owner of slaves. But why is that significant? Like one commentator said, there's no such thing as a kurios without a doulos. And that is our second word here this morning. And that's another Greek word. It's often translated as servant in the New Testament. It's used about 130 times, and there are a number of words that could be used to give us an understanding of this word, but the most literal translation of doulos is slave. 
And that's how the first century listeners would have heard this. When they heard that word, they would think slave. And there's a difference between slave and servant. A servant works for someone, but a slave is owned by someone. And that understanding will change the way you see and understand the Christian life. So you can't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord without declaring him as your master. If a young woman comes up to me in the cafe after the service and she says, good morning, Dad, like she is, by calling me Dad, acknowledging that she's my daughter. Now, if she says, it, good morning, Daddy, then that means she wants something from me. But, when, but she's acknowledging that she is my daughter. When we call Jesus Lord, that is saying, I'm your slave. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, wait now. This isn't what I signed up for. When I responded to the invitation to follow Jesus, it was to have a personal relationship with him. But now you're telling me that slavery is a part of that deal? When you stood in the baptistry, or if it was in the last six years here, you sat in the baptistry, and you confessed your faith and said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, you were saying, he is my master. You weren't saying, he's the teacher and I'm the student. You weren't saying, he's the leader and I'm the follower. You weren't even saying, he's the master and I'm the servant. You were saying, he's the owner and I'm the slave. Joseph Stone noticed the significance of this. And he said, in 21st century Christianity, we've replaced the expression total surrender with the word commitment and slave with the word servant. But there's an important difference. We can commit ourselves to do something, but when we surrender ourselves to someone, we give ourselves up. A servant gives service to someone, but a slave belongs to someone. And do you see the difference? And do you see why it matters? If we don't understand ourselves to be slaves, then all of a sudden we start trying to make decisions that aren't really ours to make. We start thinking that things belong to us when they don't really belong to us. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. Now, it would be nice to change the word from slave to servant, to soften it up a bit, to make it more attractive, but it actually robs it of its meaning. Now, I also understand that the idea is for us to reach as many people for Christ as possible so that they will be followers of his. But at the end of the day, we're all slaves of Christ. It would be nice to change that, but it, it, it's not going to change. So billions of people have responded to that message. They have asked to enter into a life of slavery. Now, here are some truthful statements about slavery and its relationship to Jesus. First of all, he says, you can't call Jesus Lord without declaring yourself to be his bond slave. Now, the Old Testament teaches that after six years of service to a master, the master was then to allow that slave to go free. He was to set that person free. But there was a rare occasion when the slave didn't want to be set free and the slave wanted to remain in that master's care. 
And we read about this scenario unfolding in Deuteronomy 15. But if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and has a good life with you, so his life is better with you, stick and all, that's a small, sharp iron nail through his ear into the door. He will be your slave for life. Also do this to a female slave. So that slave becomes your bond slave, someone who chooses a life of slavery. And in the New Testament, that same term, it's used over and over again as we read about the New Testament writers describing themselves as bond servants or bond slaves of Jesus. We see it when the angel appears to Mary to announce that she is going to give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah. So in Luke 1, verse 38, Mary responds, I am the servant or bond slave of the Lord. Let this happen to me as you say. And then the angel went away. So start thinking about the upside-down implications of this. Jesus is the kurios, and I'm the doulos. I'm a slave. So what does that mean practically? Like There are many things that it means, but we're just going to look at five of them here this morning. First of all, a bond slave is a slave for life. Like That small nail through that earlobe into the door signified that a permanent bonding was taking place. And the bond slave would usually put an earring through that hole as a way to signify that he'd chosen slavery. And if you were out in public and somebody saw that earring, they would say, there's a bond slave. They just immediately knew that this person had given themselves to that master for life. And it would also tell them that that master must be in pretty incredible person because the slave was willing to make that lifelong commitment. The decision was something that couldn't be undone either by the slave or by the master. Like, I will be your slave until the day I die. That's what that individual was saying. Now, a bond slave also has no rights. And the idea of willingly giving up your rights to that seems pretty upside down to us here as Canadians because we're all about rights. Like we know our rights and we fight for our rights. But a bond slave is basically saying, I'm just turning my rights over to you. A bond slave doesn't say, well, I'm going to be your slave one hour a week on Sundays. Like that wasn't part of the deal. A bond slave doesn't say, okay, let's negotiate a little bit. I'll be your slave, but this area in my life, I don't want you to have control over. I don't want to necessarily do it your way. You don't say that to the master. And a bond slave couldn't say, I'd like a room with a view, I'd like a car, and the savings that I've built up, I would like to keep those. When you sign up to become a slave, you turn everything over to the master. And there's a fourth thing that we see in this. A slave was required to show radical and complete obedience. Like we work so hard to develop job descriptions for the various ministry roles that we have here within the church. And we could just come up with a one-word job description, and that would be submit. That's what a slave does. And 
Submit literally means to put yourself under. Now, we don't do that naturally because we just we want to lead. We, but for the most part, we only submit when we have to. But the Bible says that this is what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus. We place ourselves under his authority. And the obedience is complete. It's unquestioned. A slave places ourselves under his authority. And a slave doesn't say, I'm not really sure I understand what you're saying. So I think maybe I'll do things a little differently. No, a slave was required to obey even when they didn't totally understand. Like There's an interesting verse in Luke 6, verse 46. That Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? So he's saying, Why do you call me Kurios, Kurios, if you're not going to listen to me? Why do you call me Master, if you refuse to be my slave? And Scripture is very clear that when we call Jesus Lord, we're signing up for a life of submission, for a life of complete obedience, even when we don't fully understand it. So when you say, I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior, you're not just calling upon him for salvation, but you are agreeing to live by his commands. That's what it means to be a slave. But we don't do this perfectly, right? I know some things about myself. I'm a slave, and I'm not a very good one. I call Jesus Lord, and I want to live a life of obedience, but I'm still a slave. I'm still a sinner. So we understand that God, as a master, is very gracious to us. One pastor told about the fact that he received encouraging notes from his children from time to time. And they told him that he always practiced what he preached. So he wasn't up there on Sunday mornings saying one thing and living a different way in his home. He was someone who was committed, though imperfectly, to living a life of obedience. So we can also see that a slave has no personal identity. The only credentials that mattered was the fact that he was known by his master, his resume, his lineage, his education. Those things were all inconsequential. All that mattered was who his master was. So that's why you often read the New Testament and see the writers referring to themselves, not by their credentials, but by the fact that they were slaves of Jesus. So they would say like this in 2 Peter chapter 1. From Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now Peter could have said, I was one of the best friends of Jesus. I was one of the inner group of his apostles. Or he could have said, I was the one that got to preach the message on the day the church started. Or he could have said, I was the one that walked on water. Yeah, it was just for a moment, but I I still did that. But he didn't. He simply said, Simon Peter, a servant or slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, Timothy, and John all refer to themselves that way. And then there's James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. 
Like, don't you think that this guy could do some bragging? Like, he, he could start it off, that I'm the brother of Jesus. And, and don't, when at school, if anyone bullied him, like he could say, guess who my brother is, the son of God. You know, I, I've got him on my side. But in James 1.1, he just said, from James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul was writing his book to the Romans, he doesn't begin by saying, Paul, a student of the greatest teacher, Gamaliel, or he doesn't say, Paul, who actually was spoken to directly by Jesus on the road to Damascus, or he doesn't say the one who wrote most of the books in the New Testament. He just says, from Paul, a servant, slave of Christ Jesus. Any time that I'm asked to speak somewhere, they always say, how do you want to be introduced? And I think, you know, here's my chance to make myself sound really good. So one time I said, here, do this. Mention how he was once offered a tryout by the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team. And that's actually true in a way. I was playing junior A hockey in Summerside. And my coach was Doug McLean. If you're a hockey fan, he's on Sportsnet all the time. But he knew the coach of the Moncton Maple Leafs. They were the number one farm team of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they were talking, and the, the New Brunswick team was doing horribly. And so he spoke to Doug, and he said, hey, do you think a few of your players might like to come for a three-day amateur tryout? So I was asked by my coach. Three players were asked. The other two went. I don't know yet why I didn't go. It would have been so great to brag about. I played for the Toronto Maple Leafs for three days. But this is what my prayer really is. It's something like this. God, as a pastor, would you please never let this become my career? Would you always let this be my calling? Like, as a pastor, may I always simply be a slave to your son, Jesus Christ. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he reached countless numbers of people through his evangelism. And if you were to go to his gravesite, you would see a tombstone and four words, a slave for Christ. That's all it says. In this church, we have teachers, we have students, we have dentists, doctors, nurses, and other medical workers. We have engineers, we have accountants, a lot of IT people. We have business people, we have managers, we have moms and dads, and they're all cleverly disguised as slaves. And you think, okay, why would anyone ever become a slave? And it was actually there in Deuteronomy 15. Did you catch it? But if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family. So that's the motivation here. The master is someone that you love, and so you want to be his slave. And a slave who could be set free would think, I know this is going to seem crazy to my family, I know that people are going to hear this and they're not going to understand, but I love my master so much and my life is so much better off with him that I choose a life of slavery. And now comes the most upside-down part of this whole message. It's only by becoming a slave to Jesus 
that we truly find freedom. So we love the master, and we realize that true freedom is found as a slave, and then the master sets us free from a life of slavery to sin so that we can be his slaves and we can experience freedom. Paul wrote about this in Romans 6, beginning with verse 16. Surely you know that when you give yourselves like slaves to obey someone, then you are really slaves of that person. The person you obey is your master. You can follow sin, which brings spiritual death, or you can obey God, which makes you right with him. In the past, you were slaves to sin. Sin controlled you. But thank God, you fully obeyed the things that you were taught. You were made free from sin, and now you are slaves to goodness. I use this example because this is hard for you to understand. In the past, you offered the parts of your body to be slaves to sin and evil. You lived only for evil. In the same way now, you must give yourselves to be slaves of goodness. Then you will live only for God. In the past, you were slaves to sin and goodness. Then you will live, excuse me, and goodness did not control you. You did evil things, and now you are ashamed of them. Those things only bring death. But now you are free from sin and have become slaves of God. This brings you a life that is only for God, and this gives you life forever. The payment for sin is death, but God gives us the free gift of life forever in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're all slaves. If you're a slave to something or someone other than Jesus, then that will lead to death. It will lead to frustration. It will lead to sin. But if you're a slave to Jesus, that will lead to hope, holiness, and eternal life. You're going to be a slave either way. But when you become a slave to Jesus, the upside-down thing is that you truly find freedom. Back in 2012, a number of the members of my family and some others from our church went to Calgary for Matthew Morris's wedding. Matthew spent five years here studying and working in our youth program. And then my family went on to Vancouver for a reunion with my wife's family. And we went to Stanley Park, and then also to the Vancouver Aquarium. And we paid to go in to see the Beluga show. And it was really an amazing show. We were hearing about it. We were kind of late getting there and found some seats down near the front, thought we lucked out, and we sat there. And after sitting down for a moment, I saw the sign. This is a splash area. And I thought, oh, we're not going to bother moving. We got a little wet, but that was okay. But then I took my grandson, Seth, and we walked in through the aquariums. And you could see all this sea life, fish, everything else. And and Seth and I were just kind of pretending, you know. Let's imagine that they think that they're trapped in there, that they think that they've lost their freedom because they're in the water in this aquarium. So they're in there and they're saying, Let me out of here. Won't you set me free? Now, if Seth could speak at the time, he was a little too young, he might have said, come on, Grampy, you're strong. You can smash that glass and you can let those fish out so they can be free from slavery to the water. But if I was to do that, 
those fish would very quickly discover that they weren't slaves at all. It was actually only in that world that they could truly be free. And the same is true for us. There are two separate worlds. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the world that we live in. And it's only in the kingdom of God and living as slaves to Jesus where we truly find freedom. And that can be so hard for us to understand, but it's all about loving our master. So can I say to you as one slave to another, my master will provide for you if you become his slave. He can take care of your needs. He'll protect you. Like even the wind and the waves called him kurios. My master will forgive your sins no matter what you've done. He can put the pieces of your life back together. He is the great physician and he can heal you. And here's what you need to know about my master. When you make him your master and you become his slave, he doesn't call you slave. He actually calls you son or daughter. In John 15, verse 14, he said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. So he calls us friend. He calls us son or daughter. There's a story told from pre-U.S. Civil War days, and I don't know if it's true, but the story was told about a slave being on the auction block, and the bidding price for him went higher than people thought he was really worth. And there was a man in that town who was really working against slavery, trying to put an end to it, and he was the one that put the highest bid on this slave. And people couldn't understand, you know, why, why is he buying a slave? But later on, they would discover that he'd sold everything he had and then offered it as a payment for this slave. And after he won the bidding, he went over to sign the ownership papers and he wrote one word on it, F-R-E-E-D. And then he gave it to the slave and then walked out as the crowd just kind of watched in silence. And then the story goes on to say that this slave, who was now a free man, went and he found this man and he said, you sacrificed everything for me. You bought my freedom. I don't have anything to offer you, but I offer you myself. Now, there's no historical documentation to support that. There's sometimes stories that get passed on that have amazing models like that. But I was thinking about it at home, and I was walking by the newly mounted mirror in my renovated bathroom. It had gone about three weeks without a mirror, kind of tough to shave. But as I'm walking by that mirror, something caught my eye, and I looked and I said, there's the slave. Like, it's me. Like, I've been set free. Like, that story may not be a true story, but it is a true story because we were the ones placed on the auction block. And Jesus gave everything he had. Like he gave his life to buy our freedom so that we could truly be free. Like the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So we offer you the invitation to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. But please understand that if you can't call him Savior, excuse me, 
if you won't call him Lord. Like, it's a package deal. So if you would like to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, then meet me down front as we stand together to sing.